Wow, Boxeo is back in the building. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns and is ready pr to produce a no-moss reply once you've been hit with that strongest substance in combat sports today, that performance-enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear just about ready to tag in Rafe Bugs to recap a wild weekend in the sweet science and preview Saturday's middleweight title bout from Quebec as Billy Joe Saunders defends against David Lemieux. We will also chat with an interested spectator in that bout as top middleweight contender Daniel Jacobs stops by to share his thoughts. But without any further ado, no gimmicks here. We're getting right into the meat of this. Let's hand the ball off to the other half of this boxing brotherhood. You know him as internationally renowned author, editor, yes, and protector of all things cruiserweights cruising was made for box respect was made for box oh yeah it's Rafe Bartholomew from the west coast and Rafe I'm going to tell you in a second how my man Rigo did not respect box but how are you on this fine winter morning I mean, you brought up, uh, you hinted our, our Quebecois friend, uh, David Lemieux. And I just thought back to that time he was telling us about he's not the kind of guy. He doesn't like to, to go to go out, go to the parties, hang out, drink all that stuff. He just comes in the door, takes your girl, and goes home. That's what I'm talking about right there. I mean, would you say like Azuma Nelson once said? I mean, I'm too bad, baby. Now, we want Danny Boy. Yeah, we want Danny Boy. I'm just a too bad, baby. Yeah, I'm fired too bad, up. baby. Too bad. Hey, Rafe, uh, we got to get right into the melancholy and the infinite sadness on this side of the uh, podcast studio. Uh, as uh, Guillermo Rigandau, a guy who I did go out on a limb for, right? I, if, if the hashtag cult of Rigo is a real thing on boxing Twitter, yes, I am one of the leaders of that, Rafe, and I went out on a limb for that, for that guy, tried to go wire for wire and predict he could do the impossible, move up two weight classes and outshine and disarm the best boxer in the world today. But I was sadly far, 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 far off, Rafe. Unfortunately for me, as Vasily Lomachenko proved exactly who he is, with a sixth round TKO retired in the scorebooks it goes to defend that 130 pound title and really cement if there was any doubt that he is your pound for pound king of the sport. But Rafe, that really wasn't the narrative, right? The narrative was that Rigo quid and all the people who were anti Rigo for years get to go out on Twitter and talk about how he was never as good as we thought he was and he quit and he's a loser and he's all of that. And you know what I want to say basically to that. Stop that crap. Stop it. Stop it. But what 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 am I going to stand on? What type of solid ground am I going to stand on? I'm going to give you the ball, Rafe. Hand it right off to you, up the middle. Your reaction to Rigo Nomas? Hey, you know we knew this could happen, Brian. I mean, especially I, and I was look. I got I was easy so caught up in that that Rigo hype train, not really a hype train, but just the belief that he could maybe rise to the occasion and, and turn this into something like, you know, truly a, a, a legendary night, something worthy of an HBO documentary, which this did not turn out to be. Um, but we knew that was the case. He's a guy who you don't, he, he is mercur, he's always been mercurial in that way, where even when he was outclassing guys, he could put really stink up a performance. And this, I don't think was a, a, a matter of stinking anything out. 
Uh, it was just, you know, the, this did not, the, we didn't know how this fight was going to play out. It was two guys who basically, even with Lomachenko's loss to Salido in his second fight, you never really saw either guy not in control of a fight. And we knew that was going to happen to one guy. And we don't know how that's going to react with these guys who have been the class of everything, every ring they've ever set foot in in their life. You hope that they're going to rise to the occasion when they're challenged like that. But that is no given, especially for guys who are so great that they've never really been challenged that way. And for a guy with all the pride and ego that we've seen from from Rigondio over the years, it's not really surprising that the way he, he handled it was handled finally being up against that kind of challenge, a guy who he wasn't just better than, who was at this point in their careers at that weight and all those things, way better than him. Way better. Yeah. Didn't no, want to hang in there. It's, 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 uh, it's really tough because he was so, like you said, so just mysterious and did things his own way that he was equally under and overrated. Like, you know, heading into this fight, like to be honest, we didn't really know if he could pull this off because we don't really know exactly who he is. He fights so little. Sometimes I felt like he plays down to his competition when he's in there against the, around the globe against these meaningless fights. But you always had that in the back of your mind that if pressed, could he become that dangerous guy? Could he win this fight? In the end, what we feared, there was too much stacked against him on paper, right? Lomachenko was way bigger, but he was also way faster. He was also way more dynamic. Mm -hmm. He controlled the footwork. So I'm not just saying it was a size thing, although size did play a factor where Roy Jones, let's say, seduced me into thinking that size wouldn't play a factor. It did to a certain degree, but that's not the, the end, the end result here. The end result was a guy who exposed himself as a front runner, Rafe. That's what Rigo was in a guy who always was in control of the amount of danger to a fight, always to like a point of irritating you of saying, why aren't you doing more? And he would control that. I know the knee jerk reaction might be, well, hey, didn't he get off the canvas twice? New Year's Eve 2014 in Japan against Amagasa, right? And he showed bravery at heart. He did. And he showed a warrior's heart. But here's the thing. He had an avenue to victory in that fight that he knew all along. And it was going to be relying on his technique. Huge counter shots. Walk the guy down. When he realized in this fight and I really think he realized it in round one, or at least I realized it from ringside. When that avenue to victory was gone, he was gone. And he was never going to do what all the people that hate him wanted him to do, which was end the fight on their terms. So in so this whole thing, did he quit? Of course he quit. I don't believe in the hand injury. Of course he quit. But I'm not going to roast him for it. One, because I tend to try not to do that. It's different when, like, Tor Hamer throws in the towel in round one against Andy Ruiz, and we can call him a joke and a quitter and all that. This is different. I think this is Rico's ultimate FU and middle finger back to the sport to guys like Dan Raphael, who's never once voted for him pound for pound. Rico blocked Dan on Twitter to guys that he considers the epitome of the American media who will never accept me. I'm not going to stand out there and get knocked out for your pleasure. Once I realized that it, that it was over, I'm cutting loose. And I think the timing was key because I don't know if you noticed at the end of the sixth round, he was getting hit with more clean left hands than he had been the entire fight. And that was the first time where I was like, not only is he going to lose, I knew that right away once you, once you saw that first and second round, but he's going to get knocked out to have to, you know, to, he's not going to be able to just survive because Lomachenko's that good. Do you give any credence to what I'm saying here where it was almost Rigo's way of saying, you never loved and accepted me, top rank dropped me, so even you, Bob Arum, I'm not going to let you watch me get knocked out. I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I think that Rigo's sort of immense pride had a lot to do with, with the way he ended that fight, the way he chose to end that fight. 
Um, and uh, I don't I don't know that I think that he is so involved in his own like media meta narrative. Like we don't actually know how much of this stuff he consumes and gives a damn about in real life. Oh, we you know mean that's that not him on the Twitter controls account? a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, I, I like his Twitter. That guy is cool, but he is probably not the, uh, you know, what, like the actual uh, Guillermo Rigandio. Um, but. Um, but yeah, of course it, it was that pride that like, look, I don't, I'm not, I am this sort of majestic, you know, world level talent. I, I see I'm going to lose this fight. I see that, you know, the, the, basically the, the, the left that I use to control people, I can't land against this guy for whatever reasons, you know, whether it's his footwork, his speed, his size, all of those factors, his IQ in the ring, he was getting, you know, he, he, and so there was, he saw he had no, like you said, no real avenue, had no control in the fight and, and wasn't willing to sort of take that extra level of risk. Now, I do think, look, I, I, I sort of, that's something that's consistent with the personality that he has shown us throughout his career, right? But at the same time, I am disappointed. I am hope. I was hopeful that he would show a little bit more. Now, right? Like I'm not giving mean... him just to say I'm not giving him a pass. I'm not saying well yeah. he did this as a middle finger, so it's okay. I'm just saying he's always kind of been a heel. He's been boxing's black sheep for years. This he is doesn't care what anybody that. thinks. That, right. I'm with it's you 100. percent I mean, it's still. You know, boy, it's frustrating. That Teddy's really right. I mean, it is, but it it's it, it is what it is. Yeah. No. That's that's the guy, and we knew that was a possibility. Now, I I really do. I I, I would. I would have. I, I I wish. You know, the thing that really disappointed me is that he, I, he didn't. He. I really would have liked to see him go out there, not go out on his shield, all that BS. That you know, whatever. Uh, but to press the issue, like just, just throw throw everything at the wall. At least you know, for for a round, try something else. You know, he was. He didn't. He 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 saw. He probably it wasn't going to work, and it probably wouldn't have worked. Whatever he did. But he never, he didn't try a plan B. He didn't, he didn't go, you know, go out for a couple rounds and at least try and get, you know, land some punches, change the tide of the fight a little bit. He really just, you know, saw, all right, this guy's better, so I'm out for the yeah, night. Well, and, he, there were little things he tried. There were yeah. portions in rounds two through four where he, he came out early aggressive. One round he was pushing the jab, another round he was straight up going for big left hands, but this was just a dynamic. All, you know, we're finding out yeah. at all time. Like we thought we were coming in for a historical fight. We exited with, with the, you know, the further launch of a historical fighter instead. I mean, there was nothing he was going to be able to do. And, you know, he had the reach advantage, but he had nothing else. And he wasn't no, able and to use that reach advantage. And uh, you have to question Rigo's style of, of trying to crowd Loma. And then every time he did, basically bending at the waist and just letting himself be a sitting duck to, to, to shots, you know? And it was like, yeah. once Loma established that I'm going to come in on you, I'm going to hit four jabs in a row. And then for every punch you're going to hit, I'm going to hit you with four to five. There was no chance. There was no chance yeah. because that hard left hand, like you said, that gave a lot of people troubles was not going to be able to, to, to be landed one, nor was it going to give Loma any trouble. And that's where the size difference was visible to the eyes. Yeah, and and that's the thing. When when we interviewed Roy Jones about this fight, and he talked about Rigo's power, yeah, I think I believe in that. It's just you you have to land that punch in order to discipline the guy and make him not want to come in anymore. And he was able to do that against every other fighter he faced, including 
legitimately great, a great one legitimately very, very good to great fighter in the moment who was Nonito Donaire, I think, at that point in time in his career, above his best weight, but whatever, still end of his prime, and just, you know, outclassed him. And, you know, we just see the levels can kind of just keep going up, up, up in boxing where this time, you know, the, the shoe was on the other foot. It's hard to – these are probably the only two guys in the world who could have a chance at outclassing each other like that. And we saw where, you know, where where it fell. No no doubt about it. And I, and I think that this was a best-case scenario for Lomachenko. Like I know there were people from an entertainment status that were, you know, upset we didn't see a finish, whatever. A lot of people are ripping me on Twitter going, how are you calling that a masterful performance? Rigano didn't try. No, there was masterful things that Loma did to make sure that Ringo, Rigo was no longer going to try. Like there was a lot of master there. But I think it was a perfect-case scenario because they're trying to launch him to superstardom. And I think the way that this fight was received and the rating that it got on TV, second most-watched fight of the year besides Pacquiao Horn on, on American TV, this was a huge success. Now that you have the narrative that they instantly spun of he's so different and dangerous that now four straight opponents are quitting, which isn't really true, right? Sosa's corner threw in the towel. It's a different story. But – it's an interesting narrative that you have to ask yourself, can they find somebody that can go 12 hard with him now that he's made the adjustments from that Salido loss? Can they actually find somebody? And Bob, after the fight, was like, give me anybody up to 35, anybody, and I guarantee you they will not go the distance with him. Uh, how do you argue against all the hyperbole that he's getting right now? You can't. He's that good, right? You, he is that good. I mean, to, to win this fight in that fashion. And, and it, this was an interesting fight in that, you know, it, on, it, you could look at it and say – Neither fighter looked great in that they, you know, like it wasn't like they, they, neither fighter landed that a great high percentage. You know, they, it was, it it was a different, because both guys are so hard to hit. And even Rigo, while getting outclassed, probably made Lomachenko look, it didn't make him, obviously didn't make him look bad, but made him, he wasn't able to to show the entire sort of wasn't or cornucopia of insane fun boxing you know tricks up his sleeve that that you see from Lomachenko against lesser guys. Yeah. He really just sort of won. And, you know, he was winning those rounds. They weren't pretty. They were pretty ugly. You know, there's all Rigo was 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 clenching all the time, and 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 a lot of the hitting was on the break. Those weird little shoe shine uh, sort of shovel punches. While while Rigo was uh was was bent over, those score and win rounds. But it wasn't like the box. Boxing, uh, you know, uh, exhibition that you see sometimes when when Lomachenko is against you know uh, Kosaicha or uh, well, you know a lot of these guys, of which is fine. Ass. I mean, it's a to 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 do that at that level, to be that dominant at that level, even in a way that wasn't so you know pretty to the most casual eye, is. An, uh, an amazing accomplishment. So to that point, it reminded me of Ward Kovalev, the last sort of fight for pound for pound supremacy where they canceled each other out in both fights to a certain degree and neither was able to <clears throat> really look huge and dominant. I think the the moment that I knew in, in Rigo's eyes that this fight was over, I don't know if you remember. Now, he was dirty the entire fight. He was trying to use old man tricks to slow Lomachenko down, holding, pulling. When he hit on the break, and it was around round two or three, yeah. and hit that uppercut, on Lomachenko, and that's becoming a Rigo like cheat code move, a Madden card that he yeah. plays a lot. He's finished fights with that to sort of hit you illegally on the break, and then Lomachenko answered with two flush shots that caused Rigo to do a little bit of a dance. I felt like that was the moment where Rigo was like, "I've literally used every single card in my wallet. Like I am done. It's over." So, and that's why I mean I think you can tell that's why Lomachenko was so sort of adamant about the holding in that fight. I don't think because he thought. 
Rigo was going to, you know, like, you know, lean on him and, and, and tire him out and do that. But he, that he had seen Rigo do that trick, that basically hold and hit trick, which he tried a few times and, and did not manage to, to, to get much done with against, against Lomachenko. I did think that, I don't know if I, I don't know if in other fights, the lesson that Lomachenko seems to have learned from the Salido loss was like, lose his goddamn mind every time anyone clinches with him. It's a little bit overboard. And the only, I guess there's a risk, like if he, if he like throws a guy and gets like a foul type thing, you know, you don't want to lose points. And so anyway, you know, we'll see how that plays out in other fights. Well, um, he responded Brian, well to that, all that dirtiness, like he didn't do with Salido. So he shows you his growth right there. Yeah, at least he knows he got to do something back. You know, he can't just let someone, you know, go in and 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 abuse the rules to the the full extent of whatever the leeway they get. Brian, I'm gonna go straight hot take on you here. You know, wow. you you, wow. you know, you talking about hot? I'm coming in hot. You know what, Lomachenko, and I think with ESPN's, you know, hype machine, if they actually want to crank it up for this, call out Floyd. What? Just go all the way there. Do it. You, <clears throat> it there, there may never be a, you, 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 maybe all the hype in the world isn't enough, isn't going to generate enough interest and money. But man, you know this, it, to, especially coming off you, you, the narratives are there. There is a way to spin so this to create PR that? and everything wise, media wise. Like a guy, you just fought Floyd, just fought a zero zero and zero <laughs> person who never boxed in his life. Okay, Floyd, you got you got by on that one, and you see Floyd, he's out here, he's still training, he's still sort of making this hint that he's looking for a fight in 2018. Uh, you know, the idea that okay, you fought this guy who had zero experience in boxing, Lomachenko being like, I am a real threat to your legacy, to TBE, to all of this nonsense. Not it's not nonsense, but all of this hype that Floyd cre- creates about your himself, right? All right, that is like, interesting. I I gave you a like a come on type of thing off the off the start, but. One, it, it it gives him a quicker dive into superstardom, right? Because that be, that can become a sports center headline or a first taste topic, like right away, right? Where you probably maybe wouldn't be talking about Lomachenko. That crosses over into TMZ and all the other stuff, right? If you're everywhere you go, you're talking trash about Floyd. And two, would he actually take that bait? Would he? It, it might be too early for this tactic, Rafe, because Lomachenko is still on the uphill of building his. It's stardom, never but... too early to beef up to to you know like to. Would he, Floyd he, take he, the bait? All because... he can do is 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 up his profile and get into. I mean, look, if he if he calls out Floyd and ends up fighting Mikey Garcia or Linares or or you know Terence Crawford down the line, that's great too. But shoot, Floyd is uh, you know we don't know how long he's gonna linger around Wait, and be shoot? at a level where that fight means something. You know, do go for it now. And plus, like there are narratives there. You know, you can come off the like stop fighting these guys who've never boxed before. I am a master boxer in the sense of Chris Algieri and Tim Lane. You know, let Lomachenko out the cage. <laughs> Floyd goes to China and adopts a panda, and names it after himself. Lomachenko should adopt a chicken or a duck and name it Floyd. You know, just go straight troll on him. See what happens. I would just be worried that, to do it too soon because, like you said, shoot. Let him shoot his load. Just you don't want to do that too early. But I wonder if that. Could could actually snare Floyd, who keeps posting videos of himself in the gym before this epic China trip. It almost wants to tease you and say, hey, I'm still around. I still might be wanting to take a super easy big money fight. Now, the thing is, like, is he crazy enough to take on that challenge? Is he crazy enough to go, I got a guy who wants to move up three weight classes and 17 pounds to take me. Yet he might actually be more, might, might actually be more skilled than I am. Is that, I mean, that you could have some Pacquiao ODH potential there now, obviously. See, that's the thing. We don't, we, we, we're kind of, we're kind of, uh, we've kind of written off the possibility of Floyd coming back to fight an Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford because they seem 
Spence is very big. Crawford is basically the same size as Floyd. You know, he doesn't against Lomachenko. He will at least have that. He, he, I, look, Floyd is no dummy, smarter by dimensions than both of us and pretty much anyone else who just watches boxing, at least when it comes to this sport. So he's not going to be fooled by anything, you know, and he, and he's beaten plenty of bigger guys. So he, he knows this game, but at the same time, and not in the Larry Holmes sense, I know this game, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't think Floyd is going to be fooled or anything, but he will, he will probably factor in. Look, I am bigger than this guy. I'm longer. May, you know, and wouldn't that just be, I mean, That's forget amazing. all the hype and the narrative stuff. That would be so cool to see like a fight with that kind of historical meaning, uh, assuming that, you know, Lomachenko is all that he's already shown us to be and, and is going to be on that path. That kind of, I mean, that is a legacy fight for both of them. Just tell your parents, just hi. Yeah, tell your parents about that kind of fight. That would that would change a lot of things. Rafe, I wanted to hit you with one piece of hyperbole, though. I said that Lomachenko is living up to all of our hyperbole. Uncle Bob tried to best that, and here's what he said. Lomachenko is the most unbeatable fighter I have ever seen since the 1960s version of Muhammad Ali before he was forced to step away from the sport for three-plus years. Now, this isn't the first time Bob's making Ali references. He, he compared Loma to Ali on this show, in fact, last week. Is that going too far? Is there a chance that Lomachenko from the eye test is, for you know, within his own divisions, the most unbeatable fighter we've seen, maybe not going back to Ali in the 60s, but in 10, 15 years, unbeatable? Floyd that welterweight was pretty unbeatable. It looked like, right? Everyone, everyone is unbeatable till they get beat, right? Or like, there's been a lot of fighters who have looked unbeatable, and and uh, you know, I mean, there have been times when it when Triple G looked unbeatable. Um, now, I guess he got he always was a guy who got hit, so you could see someone. It wasn't quite the same as this. And I, Loma I agree. Got beat like too, Loma did get beat. We've actually seen it happen. That so is, that is true. He did get beat. Yes. Uh, um, but you know, you could be unbeatable from this point forward, you know, or, you know, I mean, like we've, we've all, you know, Riddick Bowe was unbeatable on that night. That night. Um, uh, and so I, it, it, and, and I think that one, Bob just likes to put whoever he's pushing in the same sentence as Muhammad Ali, because that's a very good idea. And these are great fighters. It may be, you know, you, I, I don't want to get too deep into like the historical nitpicking between all these guys' legacies, but you know, I mean, Bob happened to have promoted Ali, so every night guy he promotes now who he's trying to push, oh God, he reminds me of Ali in this way. You know, I mean, Manny reminds him of Ali. All these guys, I mean, you know, they're, I, I'm, I would be surprised if he has already done like comparisons with Terrence Crawford and Ali. You like these, you know, if you're a great fighter on top rank, you're going to get a Ali comparison, uh, for business reasons, you know, as much as anything else. I thought you were doing a, uh, Emmanuel Stewart there with your, uh, You know, I mean, I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 hell no. Well, let me give you one more quote Bob said. He says, in my opinion, Terrence Crawford will belong in the same class when it's all said and done as the guys from the 1980s, like Sugar Ray Leonard. He is on that level, and Crawford is a sensational fighter. But this guy, Lomachenko, is superhuman. Was that Bob's way of basically saying, I have Crawford, and he's amazing, and I think he's the next Sugar Ray Leonard? But Lomachenko is even better. Is that real? I don't look. I'm I'm curious about that because I don't see what the point of of trying to you know delineate there is because you know Bob promotes both these guys. Call them both great. They at this point in time, 
I, would you call, would you necessarily call Terrence Crawford less unbeatable? Has he looked less unbeatable? That's my thing. Than, and if you even... Vas- Vasily Lomachenko recently, no. they both look pretty like goddamn amazing. And if you put um, them together at like 140 right now, I gotta be honest, yeah. I'm still picking Crawford. I know there's a size difference, but even I still might pick Crawford anyway with the reach, the ability to punch, you know, the, the different things he does. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's the thing. While Lomachenko has looked unbeatable, yeah, and he's beaten some real, real good fighters, there are still another, there's still plenty of tests out there for him at whatever, you know, at various weights. I think if they could do, you know, Mikey Garcia is floating around sort of doing the self, you know, like he'll work with any promoter thing. That would be a great, great fight next year. If That's they the do fight. it at 135 for, for Mikey's belt there. I mean, Mike, cause, cause Mikey is a guy who, you know, he's not, he's not going to be as fast as Lomachenko, at least in terms of, you know, his feet and, and stuff, but his timing, just how cool he is under, you know, in, in the pocket and just, he's the kind of guy who may, we, all right, we thought maybe Rigondo would be the guy who could go in there and, and sort of hang tight and, and, you know, not not bite on too many feints and be able to land a big counter and really test Lomachenko in that way. He was the guy who had the counter punching boxing skills to do that. Well, maybe it's Mikey Garcia who's going to be bigger, who's going to who, who who has that, who has similar power, great timing. You know, does it in a way different manner than than Rigo does it, but could give that sort of test. And I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, that's I, I saw Andre Ward calling it a fifty fifty fight if they do Garcia Lomachenko. I think that is about a 50-50 Yes, because Boxing Twitter right after the fight was talking about that. And Boxing Twitter is a mixture of, like, people in the business that we like, f- crazy fans that we like, like James Bag Jr., and then, like, the really crazy people that we don't necessarily like. And I'm taking Boxing Twitter's pulse as a whole, and it was like Lomachenko I like destroyed. everybody. I like everybody. It was like Lomachenko destroys Garcia. And I'm like, what? I'm like, even if Vasily, like, completely outclassed Mikey from the boxing standpoint – his timing on counter punches and obviously his sick power at 35 is a factor in that fight. Like that would be a really, really damn good fight. It's one of those things. I mean, it was this, it's the same question that we would sort of have as we had going into the Regandil fight, which is, you know, yes, Lomachenko is so has looked so great that it's not it's not crazy to me to imagine him outclassing anybody, anybody outclassing Floyd. If that happened, I could imagine it. He is he you know, but. At the very top level against those, that class of fighters, I could also imagine it being a, you know, a close fight that go either way. I could also see them completely turning the tables and, and, and this is, you know, and possibly, I mean, we think that Lomachenko, because he had, you know, that tough fight, uh, against Salido, you know, we think that he would, he, he has shown a little bit more and plus this, the Eastern European background. We think he, he's shown more grit than, than we saw. You know, Rigondeaux's show when he was losing over the weekend. Sure. But we don't really know if, if someone ever is good enough to turn the tables if he, on, on Lomachenko, whether it be, you know, a Crawford, a Mayweather, or a Garcia somehow manages to, to sort of make, put him out of the driver's seat in the fight. We don't know how he's going to respond to that. And that's, that's the ultimate test that, that boxing, you know, gives to so many fighters. We don't often see it at guys who are that great. But when it happens, it, you, you, it's a totally unpredictable moment, and it will be that way going both ways. Well, wow, going both ways. Interesting talk there. Um, what yeah. I will say is that 
he's so good, Lomachenko, that I I don't want to see him against any of those brawlers around 130 that HBO is you know has a really deep stable of like Francisco Vargas now Mickey Roman who we're going to talk to in a minute. Like I don't want to see any of that. That's a, those are all bad fights. Now you're getting to the point where it's like I want to see him at 35 against like Robert Easter Jr. against like you know Gervonta Davis, which I doubt that would ever happen at you know at 130. Yeah. Now it's like I want to see him at 140, right? Because I just don't think there's competition for him. So we, we got a lot more to talk about Lomachenko in the future, where he's going, who he could be. I do want to close this portion of the conversation, though, with like a RIP Teddy Atlas in terms of being on the ESPN broadcast. This hit us like a ton of bricks out of nowhere. And I know Teddy still did a sit-down interview with Vasily, and he also was still a part of the post-game show where he did the, the, the clown routine with, with Stephen A. Smith all over again. But this felt like a monumental passing of the torch moment. Kriegel in, Atlas out. I don't know if it's going forward, what it's going to be like, and I didn't watch the whole broadcast. What's your reaction to this? Because it didn't feel allowable to me. No, you're not. That is not permissible. That is not allowable. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Rafe. I'm not happy. I'm, hashtag free Teddy. I'm not happy about this. How was the broadcast received? Uh, look, I feel the same way. I mean, I have nothing, you know, nothing against the broadcast team that, that ESPN has in there. Everyone is professional and good. But, you know, I, again, this just feels like one of those, uh, sort of fundamental misreadings of the boxing audience that, that occasionally boxing does when it's trying to make it present itself to a, a broader fan base. That it sort of reminds me of, of the beginning of the PBC when, when there was, you know, all the lights and the Hans Zimmer music and, and all these sort of fancy empty bells and whistles that, that, that weren't really what the core, the, the people who love the sport love about it at its core. And Teddy, as crazy as he can be, is sort of, uh, you know the hyperbole, the screaming, the histrionics, the antics. Uh, you know sometimes that get that that gets on a lot of people's nerves, and sometimes and and he has his sort of tired old saws. You know, putting water in the basement, flies on the windshield, <laughs> all those things. You know, he, limes he's in not the <laughs> limes in the coconut. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he he's not the the classical TV guy. But he's our guy, and he's been a part of that ESPN broadcast for so long. It's it really is not. It's hard to imagine it without him, and it just doesn't feel the same. Like I, that's part of the show now, and I kind of like the the craziness. I can filter out what I believe is real. I don't need someone to always be right when they're talking. I'd rather have them be engaging or crazy sometimes. For all the misses Teddy has when he's just off or he goes too far on a certain topic, there's that trust, like you said, that trust that he's going to tell the truth on the broadcast. And maybe we don't know all the reasons. We don't know if it's going to be permanent, but it feels political, to be honest with you. Maybe there's a political push from somebody that's saying. We don't necessarily want that Maverick on the air. We don't want him getting in Jeff Horn's face and saying, sorry, you lost that fight. You know, like we don't want him destroying judges when it doesn't match up with the promotional push or spin. It's an interesting topic overall. I just feel like even though he's been there for 17 years, boxing positions like this, guys do tend to be there that long. Merchant in, in Lampley, right? Like Al Bernstein, guys do tend to become fixtures with a certain network and in and, and a comfortability. And I just don't want to see that that voice go of Teddy. I, you know, I don't think it's good enough just to have him on SportsCenter afterwards. I want to see a guy who's going to tell it like it is, whether I agree with it or not. So I'm not ready for this yet. I'm, I don't want it to change, Rafe. You know, I, I would, I, it's, I just, I don't. I, Boy, it's frustrating. It know, really is frustrating. I, you know, I just pick, pick it up, man. Pick it up, man. Pick it up. Yeah, pick it up. I mean, it's time. It's get him back in there. We shall see. <laughs> All right, very pleased to welcome in this corner, as promised, top middleweight contender Daniel Jacobs, who will be 
more than a little interested in Saturday's middleweight title bout from Quebec on HBO between Billy Joe Saunders and David Lemieux. Danny Jacobs, man, great to talk to you. How's everything? Everything's great, man. Life is good. I can't complain. I'm excited about the fights as well this weekend. You got the, the new deal on HBO. You're coming off of your fight there in November against Luis Cuba Arias, a unanimous decision win. Let's start right off the bat with that. How'd you feel to, to get that showcase opportunity and the performance that you put forth? Well, it was great to finally uh, start the new chapter, get it going with, uh, obviously, my matchroom promotion was the first for me and being with HBO. So I was just, uh, you know, a bit nervous, but I got it out. Louis Arias was a tough customer. And uh, he came not to fight, but <laughs> he uh, he put up a valid effort and he survived. But other than that, I think I pulled up a really good effort. And uh, it was a rather uh, interesting uh, match, to say the least. But I'm looking forward to the future of what's in store. And hopefully uh, this coming weekend, we'll be much closer to knowing who will be the next opponent. Absolutely. This was a, a big announcement, I felt, when you joined forces with Eddie Hearn in Matchroom Sports as part of his sort of expansion into the U.S. You became a featured player now on HBO. Can you talk to me sort of the, the decision-making that went into this? Well, I just think that it was uh, me just trying to uh, put myself in a position where I can become the best and fight the best. And I think, um, you know, all the guys being with HBO – Rather, the top guys, uh, BJ, uh, Lemieux, Triple G, Canelos, and guys like that, mainly those guys are with HBO. And I didn't want any contracts or any network being able to, uh, you know, get me from getting those big fights. So I thought it was a no-brainer. They were very interested, especially, you know, after that last performance with Triple G. And uh, they're great people. So, you know, I'm happy where I'm at. And then... Eddie Hearns is a stellar guy <clears throat> and one of the best promoters in the game. So uh, I think I'm in great hands, and, uh, and I really think I'm going to capitalize off this uh, opportunity. Now, we're big fans of Eddie Hearn on this show. We were finally able to get him on the week of your fight. He, he was very excited to talk about you. And, look, he's a schmoozer. He wears three-piece suits. He always got a nice waistcoat on underneath there, a nice little vest going on. He feels like he's got something brewing, like he knows what he's doing, like he's bringing a fresh attitude. How was that sort of sell to you, and what did you sort of want? What did you like about the idea of joining forces with him? Well, I always check the character of a person before I – you know, partner up and do business with him. And I just think that, like I said, he's a stellar guy. He's a top-notch guy, and he's really passionate about what he does, and he's passionate about his fighters, you know, and making sure that they can get the most for uh, going inside that ring and, you know, most promotion as well. He's one of the best promoters in the game. So for me, I just thought it was a no-brainer. Um, and once I found out that everybody was, you know, interested, I, you know, I went for it. Well, you know, the, the the question a lot of people had for you right away is, what does this mean with your Al Heyman connection? You know, were you on bad terms in PBC and wanted more opportunities? Or is this, you know, how do you explain the, the, the shifting gears of this? Well, I mean, it's just really simple. I mean, Al is still in the picture. He's, uh, Al is still my, uh, excuse me, Al is still my uh, advisor. And, you know, that's the guy that plays the background. You know, Al is a guy that you'll never see on television is a guy that you never hear about, but he's still in the picture. So, you know, it's still the same thing. Uh, I just think that I have a new position now. And now that we per se not fighting on PBC, but we still with the Heyman family. So, you know, it's still all good. 
well, business-wise, you couldn't have made a better move when you consider the middleweights on the roster that, that are HBO-friendly at the moment. And uh, a big fight this weekend, but obviously a big fight this calendar year there with Triple G against Canelo, uh, disputed decision. What was your take, uh, one, on the scoring, and then two, on the performances of both and what you saw in there? Well, on performance of both, I thought both guys did pretty good. I, I like both guys. I think they're both really, really talented fighters. Uh, I, I myself personally, I gave it to Triple G by at least three rounds, and I think the judging uh, wasn't fair. I think um, the adolescent bird, or if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, I forgive me. Adelaide, yeah. But I, yeah, Adelaide Bird. I think uh, she scored it. You know, it was, it was an unfair decision, but you know, it's the politics of boxing, and I kind of knew it was expected. I was expecting a draw, even though I knew Triple G would win, and that's exactly what happened. Was that uh, – did you groan a bit at the decision only because you know that's going to stretch out their feud and their rivalry potentially, not leaving you out of it because it's a – you know, there's a lot of big names available at the moment, but were you hoping there was a clear closure there so you could get the winner? Well, absolutely. I, I definitely wanted it to be an opportunity for me to fight the, the winner uh, or the loser, you know, and now that they're going again, it just prolongs – you know, my, my opportunity at being the best or proving that I am the best because obviously the world still considers Canelo and Triple G above me for some odd reason. But I have a lot more to prove, and that's just what I'm going to do. I'm not going to, like I said, crowd over spilled milk. I have a job to do, and that's to be a professional prize fighter, entertaining fighter, and to fight the best. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. And whenever my opportunity comes to fight those guys, uh, I'll be waiting and I'll be ready. I had two interesting observations from that fight that I want to get your opinion on. One, I thought Triple G gave too much respect for Canelo, and then after taking his best shots late, sort of woke up and realized, like, I should be walking through this guy. I should be walking him down. And two, I love Canelo like anybody else, but I think Danny Jacobs sends Canelo to hell. I think, you know, this is a style matchup that favors you. Did you get those same feelings watching that fight? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Golovkin had troubles with figuring out the – smaller, craftier, slippier Canelo. And that's normally how it is in boxing. You know, bigger guys have a tough time hitting the smaller, slippier guys. And I think that's what it really was. Canelo really didn't pose a big threat because his power really didn't, you know, stop Canelo or make, I mean, Triple G. It didn't stop him, nor did it make him respect his punches because he kept coming forward. Whereas you can go to my fight and you can see how Golovkin, you know, respected the fight, uh, respected my uh, my power in different points of the fights. So you can see the bit, uh, the difference and how I put myself in that position, whereas I fight Canelo. Yeah, Styles make fights. I'm able to keep up with the speed uh, with Canelo. And I'm a longer range of guy, and I have just as much power as uh, uh, Triple G. So I definitely see myself uh, being a victor in that fight. Is that a fight you feel confident you could get considering the, the dangers that you bring, whether it be, you know, this May, this fall, next year? Do you think that Canelo would be go out, would go out of his way in Oscar to, to make a fight with you? Well, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that it's um, at least by, you know, uh, popular demand and the fans really wants to fight, you know, because that's really, truly who we do it for. We do it for the fans. So I'm hoping that, you know, he's a true champion and sticks to the true champion code, which is, you know, fight the fight that fans wants to see. And that's what I'm hoping for because I'm continuously proving myself. And uh, as I climb this ladder, you know, hopefully we get to a point where, you know, the, 
they will step up and uh, consider me as a, a real opponent. True, true. Now, this Saturday, 9.40 p.m. Eastern on HBO from Quebec, Saunders-Lemieux, sort of a boxer-puncher matchup. How do you see this one breaking down? Um, I, th- I think it's going to be up to uh, truly what B.J. Saunders shows up. And I think uh, he's a very unique guy. And uh, we never know what we're going to get out of him when he steps inside the ring. And I think uh, he has a uh, a really good arsenal with the soft force stance, uh, one that will give Lemieux a lot of trouble. Um, but, you know, he hasn't shown up in fights before. And he's been getting, uh, you know, hit with shots that, you know, typically he shouldn't, well, you know, typically he wouldn't get hit with. But I think it's all about B.J. Saunders, whatever, uh, whichever one shows up. But I'm, put, I'm thinking he's going to come out with the victory by decision. Uh, unless uh, Lemieux can get, you know, one of those lucky shots. But stylistically, I don't see uh, Lemieux being able to keep up with that style. I hear you on that one. We've seen Lemieux sort of have issues with that in the past. Now, do you let's talk about your plans for the near future. It would seem like it would make a lot of sense for you to go after the winner of this fight. Is is that something that, that is sort of timetable-wise interesting you for this spring? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what we're going for. I was actually going to go to uh, Montreal to be ringside to spectate for the fight because, you know, I, I want to be live and active and let these guys know that I'm here, you know, that I want to be able to fight. So we were all with the same network. I just think it makes sense for uh, B.J. Saunders uh, and Lemieux, the winner of, to fight me because uh, Triple G and Canelo already making plans to fight each other. So, you know, nothing else makes sense in my opinion. Now, the connection with Eddie Hearn in boxing being on such a boom in Britain, you know, where where there's a lot of money, there's a lot of fan interest, does that give you more possibilities? Could we see you going to Britain for in, in being a part of the big fight cards he puts on out there? Or are you staying more domestically on this sense? Well, I mean, he's trying to build a base with uh, the United States and uh you know, I'm the first guy, but he has a huge uh, base in the UK, and we're definitely going to try to, you know, be able to benefit off of that. They're huge boxing fans in the UK, and you know, I'm getting a lot of love from the UK. A lot of people say they want to see me out there. It's something that I'm looking forward to and interested if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, I don't know just yet, but you know, it'd be cool to be at an O2 Arena fighting for the 80,000 uh, incredible uh, UK fans. You know, I asked Eddie, I'm like, what are you, what, what's, what's going on out there? Why is it so insane? Can we get that bottled? Can we get it sent to the United <laughs> States? Maybe it's already in a bottle. Maybe it's just, you know, really good beer. I'm not sure what, what it gets people that crazy out there. How do we get that in this country, Danny? Yeah, no, I mean, I think we have so many different sports, you know, that's competing with each other. And, you know, somehow basketball and football and all these other sports took over boxing because back in the day, boxing was the number one sport in the world, you know, if we can get that back, I would love it. But, you know, it's definitely a passion in the UK that's unmatched as far as boxing fans concerned. All right. So as you move on your future on HBO, there's going to be chances at titles. There's going to be chances potentially at, at big fights that go to the pay-per-view level. How much is getting a rematch with Golovkin, regardless of, of money and titles, important for you just for the sense that you feel like you won that fight? I mean, I scored a draw. A lot of people had it close, and you feel like you can win it in a rematch. How much is that still driving you? 
Well, I mean, I just feel like I'm the best middleweight in the world, and that's really what's driving me. And whoever the the, the public pick, figured out to be the best, that's who I want to go after. And I'm not champion right now, so whoever has the belt, that's who I want to go after. Triple G is always going to be in the back of my mind, but we're not going to chase him for the rest of our lives and the rest of our careers. We're going to continue to climb the ladder and face who actually wants to step in the ring. Uh, but we have a goal, and uh, we're going to chase it, but we're not going to settle. Do you feel like there are, are are plenty of ways that you could make that rematch easier on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I just do exactly what I've been doing, which is win and win impressively and build my fan base and, uh, you know, make it a public uh, demand. I mean, you hit him with some shots, Danny Jacobs. You hit him with some shots. I'm sure you saw those slow-mos where his chin turned in ways that we've never seen before. Now, we credit Golovkin for maybe being a cyborg in that sense, and he kept coming forward, but I felt like you hit him with some of your best stuff there. Yeah, no, no. We definitely exposed a lot of Golovkin's flaws uh, to the max. A lot of guys have shown it in pieces, but I think I was able to capitalize on it the most. Uh, I've showed and proved to the world and told the world prior to that, you know, I had what it took. And uh, I think I showed the world rather whether I, if you thought I won the fight or not, I definitely gained a lot of respect in the boxing world. So, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I'm just looking to continue my career and uh, climbing that ladder. Well, we will definitely be looking forward to watching. Daniel Jacobs, thanks so much for your time. You'll be watching Saunders Lemieux on Saturday on HBO. We hope to see you back soon in another big fight. Thanks so much. Well, Rafe, there was a lot of boxeo this past weekend. I mean, you had one marquee fight in Rigo Loma, but you had a lot of other fights that, like, produced something worth talking about. And no bigger than in England, Copper Box Arena, our guy Caleb Truex, Boxing Twitter's own Caleb Golden Truex, 12-round majority decision over James DeGale for that IBF super middleweight title. And I got people hitting me up right after on Twitter saying, oh, yeah, it's your pound-for-pound guy, right? Yeah, I love me some James DeGale, but he was not the same guy in this fight. I think it was equal parts, equal parts, uh, you know, coming off an injury and equal parts Caleb Truex with the fight of his life. Rafe, there are rare times in this sport where you get to be a fan and you get to like legitimately cheer. I always go back to when Oscar knocked out my organ. I was literally dancing on the couch in my apartment. I was doing this in the hotel room watching on my phone in New York City on Saturday because score one for the good guys. Did you get a chance to see any of this? Yeah, I watched him. I mean, it was surprise. It was both surprising and not surprising. I mean, I expected DeGale to be not really what he used to be just because I think that that fight with Badu Jack at the beginning of the year was so brutal. But I also didn't expect him to lose. Um, I didn't expect him to look that bad. Um, I didn't expect Truex to be able to to perform that well against a guy who had seemed to be a class above him. But it, it is, I mean, Truex is one of these guys, it's like, it's impossible not to root for him. You see him out there chopping wood in Minnesota and and basically being one of these regular guys, you know, who has a career in, 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 in boxing, but also, you know, seems to have a normal life on the side, including just being sort of a normal dude on Twitter with a lot of us. Um, and all of a sudden rising the occasion and getting a, a championship. That's great. Uh, you know, and I don't think DeGale's washed. He's only 31, but he was coming off a stretch of tough fights. Then he was injured. Like this was just not the right guy. And credit to Truex, that style, the, the pressure, the smart pressure that he did was huge. And that fifth round when he landed like four oh straight uppercuts in the corner, I mean, he was about to send him to hell that to see that happen and then see him get the respect of the judges was, was very good. Cause Rafe, this could have been like every time, other time in boxing where Truex loses a split decision. And basically it's like, that's boxing. We never hear from him again. 
Like half of Ricky Burns' career is is getting wins in fights like that. He should have lost. Rick Sterka. Wow. So shout out to Caleb. Congratulations. He's got a beautiful wife and daughter. There was the storyline of he only turned to boxing to pay off his student loans from the University of Minnesota. Good guy. Great story. I hope he gets another payday. He's got Al Heyman behind him. Looking forward to that. Friday night, though, in uh, Hialeah, Florida at the racetrack. Wow. We saw some things, Rafe. Jean Pascal ended his career on a high note, sending our guy, the Egyptian magician, to hell. Ahmed Elbiali, a six-round TKO. Elbiali's corner threw in the towel. I, I guess I'm happy to see Pascal go out on top with a decent performance, and we kind of – Ahmed is who we thought he might be. Yeah, it was a weird fight. Uh, I mean, fun. Uh, Pascal looked pretty good. I mean, I, I thought he would, he looked more explosive than he had been. And obviously there's a difference in, in, uh, in level of competition than we've been seeing him lose at. But still, he, he had a little bit of that bounce back. Uh, I hate to say it. I wouldn't be surprised if, especially coming off that win, uh, looking like he can make some more money against a pretty crowded, you know, 175 pound field. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he reneges on that, uh, on that retirement. But heck, you know, it was a fun fight. Uh, I, it may be the last, uh, the last ride of the great robe of uh, Ahmed El Biali, but what can you do? You know, I, hopefully it's not the end for him. Hopefully he can go back to the drawing board. You just, you kind of get an idea that, you know, he's maybe not going to be an elite main event guy at the light heavyweight division. Let's, you know, he does have a, have a degree. He's got a good life on the background. Hopefully he can make that decision whether he can still be chasing this and it's still, you know, I mean, he's fought, this is not an easy fight. Pascal may be washed, but it's just not an easy fight. So Rafe, the other thing that card showed us was a, a big uh, buzz hype moment on the undercard. When Luis Ortiz comes back from a failed drug test to send some dude to, to, to hell by vicious knockout. Daniel Brandon, March, Daniel man. March. He, he was bored. He, he reminded me of that guy, the wolf, man. He, he was packing some heat on six, that. Seven. But, I mean, vicious knockout sure, should be a contender for KO of the year. But then De- then Deontay Wilder gets in the ring. We had our guy Ray Flo, Ray Flores on the broadcast. They didn't know if they should let him keep talking. There's trash talk. Then suddenly out of nowhere, our Luis Ortiz drops the mf on, and then Ray Flores is apologizing for it. Rafe, we got a pro wrestling feel spot moment where it's like, oh, wow, we're really going to see this fight. But, like, should we see this fight? Like, I know that's boxing, but Ortiz just failed the test. Puvekian's coming back this weekend. Should these things be happening? This is silent. This is ridiculous. Why not? I look. If uh, first of all, you know, there, we never got a conclusive answer on the whole blood pressure medicine uh, issue, and and uh, whether and how legit or illegitimate uh, Ortiz's excuse may have been. There, but, there are reasons to be skeptical, but you know what? It's boxing. If they want to do it, let them do it. I mean, it's, it's I, I don't know. It's like have testing this time. Hopefully the guy can stay clean or at least make it into the fight and have the fight. I, I don't know. I, I, it's like I want to see a fight for Wilder. This was a fight I wanted to see if they can somehow make it happen. I will. I, I'm willing to, you know, pretend like none of it ever, none of the bad things ever happened before. I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's like if I just swallow it and just say, all right, that's boxing. Then yeah, I'm pretty excited to finally get Wilder Ortiz to sort of build toward the future. We know we want to see Wilder AJ down the road. I'd rather see him go through Ortiz than. Boobs Brazil to get there. So maybe I need to just be like, hey, that's boxing. Uh, wrapping up the weekend, Rafe, there was that HBO card that went up against Loma Rigo, and it seemed ill-advised. It seemed, well, you know, Bob Arum thought it was HBO purposely trying to spite him. 
Turns out this card was hella exciting in the end. On the undercard, Francisco Vargas destroys Steven Smith's ear. Rafe, I have never seen anything like this. This was almost MMA-level gross. Like when you see someone's leg like turn sideways like it's Joe Theismann. This was as gross as I've seen by a punch. His ear was like split in half. Like We've seen dangling ears. I don't think we've seen an ear like split straight in half. Like like it was like a machete attack. Do you have any comments on this? I I mean, I, the closest I can remember is uh, is when Antonio Margarito fought that uh, Argentinian Sebastian guy uh, Luan. Yeah, Luan, whatever his name was. His ear was was in pretty rough shape after that fight. Um, I you know it's it, it's pretty much what we expected, right? We'd seen Smith lose, you know, get stopped by Jason Sosa. Uh, you figured Vargas had enough in the tank to 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 sort of bounce back after the loss to Burchelt. And, you know, I mean, assuming and hoping that, that Lomachenko moves up in weight or onto bigger and better challenges than just defending belts at 130 against guys he's going to outclass. Um, the, what's left in that division is a lot of fun. I mean, it is, it's after, you know, he was like the boxer and now it's just guys are going to, you know, get in fun fights and, and get into, you know, really, really, uh, I mean, get into wars with each other. It could, some, some sloppy fun, some, some dirty fun, some, uh, you know, all kinds of fun. Uh, Rafe, Tevin Farmer got robbed for that vacant IBF junior lightweight title from Kenichi Ogawa, but I'm tar- sorry it didn't move me. Tevin F- Farmer does not move me. So I want to give you that main event. Holy crap. Th- this is why I, I got to come back and, and get a mea culpa and say, okay, HBO, you kind of knew what you were doing because putting Mickey Roman and Orlando Salido together was like poor man's Gotti Ward in this, not just in the sense of the action, but the sense of like two guys enter their career. Is this going to be their last match? Like it was just sort of that type of booking, right? Booking wise, it was like Gotti Ward and performance wise, it was a poor man's version. Rafe, I'm not sure that this wasn't the fight of the year or at worst, the third best fight of the year. Mickey Roman, 10th round TKO, drops Salito two or three times, finishes the fight, finishes his career. Rafe, this was a hell of a fight because every time Salito got dropped, he came right back and turned the momentum in his favor that you thought he was going to win it. Every time it looked like his career was over, he came back and he was the Salito of old. Did it get any better than this? This was great. It was almost, almost classic Salito. I mean, he, I think throughout the fight, he was a little bit, he didn't have quite the energy, quite the nonstop action that we'd seen in some of the recent fights. I mean, the, the number of punches that him and Vargas were throwing last year in that fight of the year was just outrageous. And, and that kind of like, he will walk forward just, destroying guys with 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 these like shovel uh shoveling body shots uh that that var that that salito wasn't quite there he was but what was there was no slouch either i mean he it, it just the back and forth action the way he keep he just keeps rallying and honestly if it if he weren't hurt those times if he weren't getting knocked down he probably won the rest of that fight I mean it was competitive but he the times when he wasn't getting knocked down and hurt which is obviously a big disclaimer in the sport of boxing um he was getting the better of that action and looking like he was hurting Roman more so it was I mean it was classic classic Salido maybe not as good as the wars with Juanma maybe not as good as the second Martinez fight or the Var- or the or the Vargas fight from last year but damn it was pretty close well, this fight had a lot of character in it, which I thought may have made it a little bit even better than that Vargas fight of last year. People can argue, but there was a lot of character, a lot of things that needed to happen. I mean, both guys coming in with double-digit losses. Roman needing to bounce back from that Takashi Miura KO, even though, you know, he's only had one loss going back, like, 
you know, five years, there was talk of, is he going to continue his career at age 32? He looked great. I mean, he looked absolutely fantastic out there and in, in how he was able to bounce back from those Salido surges. I mean, great in the sense that I want to see him more in action fights in this in this division. But the the major story here is Salido actually calling it quits. I didn't see this coming, Rafe. Like you know, I thought he was going to win, like everybody else thought. I thought he was going to go right into the Lomachenko fight, and now suddenly we're talking about he's done. What do we do with his career? And I got to say, right off the top, this is one of those fine wine careers, Rafe. Where like he finishes forty four thirteen and four. And we're not going to really appreciate and, and understand how good the second half of his career was. I think until he's gone years from now, when somebody makes like a DVD package that you can purchase and you can go back and rewatch those. Like, holy crap, Rafe. This guy was the Mexican Arturo Gatti. Like, he may not have ever gotten the the giant classic showcase fight. Like, he didn't have his giant moment. He's had some moments to beat Lomachenko, obviously. but And he's given us plenty of great fights across the run. But, like, consistently, this guy was so damn fun to watch and it, it's a career that's so unlikely right like he climbs the he's got so many losses early he climbs the title ladder loses to Marquez in 04 loses again in 08 to Cristobal Cruz complete journeyman level loses to Gamboa in 2010 and he's just sort of that guy right he's that journeyman guy would you have ever guessed in 2010 after that Gamboa loss that he would give us these seven years of glorious brawls and really pushing top guys the limit Rafe like I love this man, and I don't think I realized that I loved Orlando Salido this much until only about two years ago when those fights started to add up in a row. Yeah, you didn't, you know, it, it really sort of, it, it, they added up. It was cumulative. You didn't, you know, at the first it was all right. He had this, these great sort of rivalry, this back and forth with Juanma. That's sort of where it started, the Juanma Lopez fights. And I think we also, when looking back at, at, at Salido's career, I think he deserves a little bit of credit for, for helping create the legend of washed Juanma Lopez, <laughs> which is, you know, a, an entire like boxing Twitter cult of itself. By the way, Juanma's was... outlasted him. By the way, he's outlasted. Well, but he did. But the second half, you know, Juanma's washed run it doesn't hold a candle to what Salido has accomplished, you know, late in his career. I mean, he he managed to be in all those wars that basically changed a lot of guys' careers. I mean, it changed Juanma's career. Uh, and I, it looks it's starting to look like that fight with Vargas may have changed his, you know, Vargas's career. I mean, Salido had this resilience, this ability to bounce back within fights and between fights because, you know, we see just like we see how fights like that can have a, just take this enormous toll on fighters between fights. Salido just kept coming back, always the same, just brutal mean nasty you know i mean could 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 get we he was just so much fun and so uh, his fought with such so hard such passion it's awesome you know what is one of i don't know one of your favorite fighters to watch every year every year he's in a fight of the year contender and he had you know he had a lot of in-between fights we'd go back to mexico and fight a nobody but look at this run from the two wanma fights in 2010 and 2011 and then he kind of really pushed Mikey Garcia to the limit after getting dropped like four times early. And there's sort of that that whole narrative of, like, you know, was he coming on? Okay, but still, that's top-level Garcia. And then he goes on that run. I mean, he beats, knocks out Orlando Cruz, beats uh, Lomachenko in, in, a, in a competitive, disputed kind of crazy fight. Then the knockout of Turdzak for the fight of the year, Turdzak Kokijim in oh, Mexico classic. in 2014, like <laughs> where he was down like five to seven times. I don't even remember the number. So that would have been enough, Rafe, to make him like a cult hero. Those back-to-back fights with Rocky Martinez is really what did it. I was there for that second one. Mm-hmm. It was the Floyd Berto co-main. 2015 November, MGM Grand. It ended up being a split draw. 
I still think that's the best, arguably, no, nah, it might be. That might be the best fight I've ever seen in per, 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 I mean, okay, it's up there with Berto Ortiz and it's up there with, uh, Vargas Mayora, but that might be the best fight I've ever seen in person. And it was in front of a dead crowd, a celebrity crowd that was there for Floyd's exit that didn't appreciate, wasn't cheering and wasn't caring. That fight is sick, Rafe. And it could have ended there, but then he gave us Francisco Vargas and then he gave us Miguel Roman. So it's just, it's incredible. No, I mean, and, and you talk about maybe the, the, that second fight with Martinez not getting its, its due from the crowd at the time. It was the exact opposite last year when he fought Vargas at the StubHub Center. You know, the real boxing crowd that, if you remember the day after Muhammad Ali's death. So it, and now, and obviously, uh, Vargas Salido is not a Muhammad Ali style fight, but it, but as a celebration of the sport and of the, the sort of the intangibles, the, 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 the bravery that we see in the sport and that the people love, uh, which, you know, was obviously a big part of the second half of Ali's career. It just, that was sort of like a, a, a familial moment for, for everyone in the audience and probably for the entire sport to just rally around and be like, Look at these guys. This is why we loved. Uh, it's why we love Ali. It's why we love so many fighters. And it's why we love these two guys and Orlando Salido in particular. Now, is he a guy that we should examine a little closer while we love him? To question, did he have the headphones in during any of these second of the run of his career in his late thirties? Was he listening to the performance enhancing audio while he got off the deck seven times against Turdsack and was like a cyborg against Rocky Martinez and then went through a hell against Vargas? Or should we just be like, yeah, 80% of the fighters are anyway. Well, look, I mean, if you want it, if you want the evidence, he did get popped in, in the no contest, uh, win that was overruled, you know, when against Robert Guerrero earlier in his career. Uh, and, uh, I don't, it depends on how, how seriously you take this problem in boxing. It's at the point now where it just feels like, you know, performance enhancing audio is, is so popular in the sport. There's so many ways to, to listen to it, uh, and, and maybe not, you know, run afoul of anything that you can have it in your ears. And, and it's, it, I don't know. I don't judge. I just kind of assume that everyone is doing anything they can get away with, uh, within the rules and the testing, however they can, however they can manage it. So no, I'm not really, I don't, I don't care. I mean, and plus he was fighting like that for a very long time. Uh, so either he's, uh, he's been a fan of the audio for a long time or, you know, it's, he's, he is, he is who we thought he was. Well, his box rec page says he's enrolled in VADA for whatever that's worth. But I just, like, he's given us big gift to people from so many times so i want to give it back to him and say siri salito i love you i make you okay i mean come on this was a heck of a career and if it goes out like this i'd rather it go out too early than too late and and what a run and i think you know i'm going to do a lot of youtube slides in the future right late at night with, with a can of beer open alone and just kind of rewatch some of these that were the wanma so fights man those are i mean you cannot sort of overstate sick. how great those are the second one when wanma knocks him down on like the most perfect right hook dead on the like perfect on the chin and salito's just back up and and drills him with the straight right and like changes his life i mean it's just a, dude, you know, he went, like he went the distance with like prime Gamboa, like that crazy amazing version of Gamboa. I mean, just a, just a fun career. So to close on his legacy here, Rafe, there's a backdoor Arturo Gotti fueled Hall of Fame argument. Arturo Gotti stretched what a Hall of Fame fighter was. Stress on fame, stress on action star, stress on we love this guy so much. Gotti still won a world title, right? But he was a, journeyman action star who could will his celebrity into big fights against De La Hoya and Floyd, but not win them, not be competitive, but give you the action fights. 
Is there an argument to be made for Siri Salito backdoor Hall of Fame when you're just saying it was so fun to watch this guy and he did beat Lomachenko, which is a better win than a lot of guys' Hall of Fame resume, and he was either competitive or beat a lot of other names. And you know what? I do want to say I think he deserves two more wins. Those two draws late in his career, the second Martinez fight and the draw against uh, Francisco Vargas last year, obviously great close fights. You, I, you could say could have gone either way, but I, I also feel pretty strongly that he did enough to win both those fights and, and, and only got draws in both. So, you know, maybe even a little underrated by his, by his, by his record than compared to what it could be, but uh, he's not going to get in on the strength of his record or his boxing skills if he were to get in. Um, I think he belongs on a ballot. I think it's a, you know, it's, it's, he's not a first ballot guy, especially if he goes in, you know, five years from now with that kind of, with, with Roy Jones and, and all them. However, um, I would not be against it. I mean, you'd have to talk to some of the real history buffs who can sort of put his career into context. I'm sure there have been other great beloved fighters who were in great fight after great fight after great fight. Um, if, 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 the, if that class of fighter gets into the Hall of Fame, then I think that Salito belongs in there with them. If that class doesn't, then maybe not. And, and Gotti is a special case, right? I mean, he, he was a superstar in a way that Salito wasn't, even if qualitatively, uh, the, the sort of, the great fights may be just about even or match up, you know, or be at least in that conversation. That's the thing. Salito never got that version of the Floyd or, or De La Hoya pay-per-view fight, right? So it's like he didn't have that same level of popularity to equal the Gotti debate, but Gotti does stretch, right? Stretch the, the possibility. Ray Mancini just got in. When you really look back at his run, it was very small at the elite level, and he's got some big losses there. So there's guys that are in that are borderline questionable. Uh, I would, you know, I'm no longer a voter uh, of the Hall of Fame at the moment. I could be if I want to. I, I, I might give him the vote because, I mean, this guy was just so, it's just, he, was, he had a beautiful run. This was. He's the. I was going to say, Brian, he's the kind of boxing story we love. I love for sure. The guy who, who, you know, didn't, wasn't favored in any way, you know, basically started, you know, lost his first fight. Uh, and has, you know, had lots of law, learned on the job, lost coming up, you know, and, and, and at one point his career was like four and three and somehow becomes a guy who won multiple world titles, who has great wins and great fights. And, and that's the kind, I mean, that's, that's, uh, if, if, if it doesn't belong in the hall of fame, it's, it, it's something we should remember and cherish for just as long as, as things that do belong in there. And if you needed a, a show. Guys, you, you need show, you need amazing show. Just call me. I'm staying here. I'm ready for everybody. They've called him many times and he stayed right here. All right, Rafe, loaded weekend to get through. I'm going to rapid fire style though, uh, wash prime real quick because I just want to get to it. Let me just hit you rapid fire right through. No long explanations. Wash prime, Guillermo Rickendall right now. Um, not washed. Uh, not washed. I think, you know, I hope he does fight again. I wanted to mention, I hope he fights again. And, it, you know, maybe this loosens things up and he can get fights with like the Frampton and Santa Cruz types. And, uh, you know, those are fights that I would still love to see, even if we know that he's not as good as Lomachenko. Yeah, if he wants to continue at 22, I think he's still maybe the best guy they have there, even from what we saw on Saturday night. Washed prime, James DeGale. Washed. Wow. That's a t- it's t- I mean that that evidence is hard to washed. It's early washed. though. It's early. He's only thirty one. It's early though. Oh man. Ah. Oh. All right. Uh, Teddy Atlas, wash prime. Teddy's Teddy's got it. He's prime. I mean, he'll show you anytime. You ask him if he's prime. He'll 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 you know whip out the prime and and uh, lay it right on the table for you. He's prime. Fast food. I mean, you yeah. tell it doesn't that make it fast food? Yeah, it's 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 I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it'll go in there. Listen, I ain't made a flip 
Chief, bro, listen, he made him go, go. He made him do I, it's just like it's. I don't know if I love the Teddy and Stephen A. show or if I hate secretly hate it. I can't figure. It's so close to both sides. It's so like. I I, I kind of love it. I mean, it, I've it's it's like it's surreal. I've you've never seen anyone even come close to out out shouting out beating beating Stephen A. in just a straight up shout out match. And uh, Teddy is right that does not give an inch. It's pretty. I I hope that they are having fun doing it and aren't like mad at each other uh, because what they're doing is is pretty funny and I don't mind it. Whether I don't care if it's good or bad for the sport, it's funny. All right, this weekend, Rafe, and it's topped by the HBO card Saturday, 9.40 p.m. Eastern from Laval, Quebec. Billy Joe Saunders defends that WBO middleweight title against David Lemieux. Hey, HBO, to close your year, which has not been the best, but you've been busy in the second half, you could do a lot worse than this fight. I like this fight a lot. I like the personalities a lot. I like the potential style of BJ Saunders doing the poor man Sergio Martinez, also not afraid to stink out of a fight if he has to, against the all-business power great hair straight ahead of david lemieux what are your thoughts on this one well uh you know i, I want to recommend that david lemieux be very careful at the way in do not mess with uh billy joe saunders son and if he does you know make sure he's wearing a cup because we saw what happened when william monroe you know patted the head at the at the at the press conference you get you know he's coming he's coming straight for those nuts don't um, tease the head don't don't touch don't tease the bag right that's how we say it. right yeah don't tease the bag or you're gonna get the mess or you know and you don't want to you don't you don't want bj saunders to get the mess if, if lemieux gets more pissed off um yeah, it's a fun fight. I mean, uh, we don't we haven't seen Saunders in many meaningful fights. Uh he does it, it, what's the uh, what's his best win? Is it uh Eubank, I guess? Uh which which was, you know, something that I don't know if many people will pick him to beat Eubank if they fought again. Is that uh, Andy it might Lee be Andy trash? Lee. In hindsight, is that Andy Lee win trash? Um yes, I believe it is sort of trash. Is it cuz uh, Lee I has mean, no chin? Is that what is it just it's a trash win in hindsight cuz it was boring and he had no chin even though he dropped him twice? Yeah, and it's just it, he didn't outfight him that well, you know. He he. Uh, this is well, the interesting thing about this fight is both these guys are known for fading, so in different ways, obviously, you know. But Lemieux comes out like a house on fire, throwing the huge left hooks, following up with the right, so you know, back and forth. I mean, really, just will will come out there and and make you do something to stop him from wailing on you, um, which we've seen really good, you know, a really good fighter like Triple G has no trouble with. I don't know if I mean, obviously. Saunders is slicker, better counter puncher. We'll we'll have some openings against Lemieux. Uh, I hope he he does you know hit hard enough to to stop Lemieux from coming in because if he doesn't, he's gonna. He, I don't think he's gonna have a very you know fun evening. Yeah, uh, look, ultimately in this fight, it, I think Saunders is shifty enough. I think he can watch the blueprint of what Golovkin did, even though they're not the same fighter. He's not going to be able to just use the jab to death to Lemieux because he's got that right hand behind it. He doesn't. But I think he's going to be able to look at that and see how limited Lemieux actually is, Rafe. And I think Saunders is the class enough of a fighter that if he mixes the stink and hold the ball style with that shifty creative ability, I think this is setting up to be a Billy Joe Saunders decision win. It's possible. I mean, I think if, if and if it went that if it went the distance, you would probably favor Saunders. You think he has more ways to win that. Although there could, you know, if he gets knocked down a couple times, there could be, you know, he could be he could be down a couple points just through that. Um, I, you know, shoot, I'll jump right into a prediction. I just think I think I haven't seen enough from 
BJ Saunders to really believe in him yet. I just don't, you know, I, I think that he's a guy who got his hands on a belt and, and held on to it for a little while, Tightly. but isn't that great? And I think, and, I, and Lemieux isn't great either, but he's very good at one thing. He's very good at power punching and he's pretty, he has a, you know, despite the, the knockout losses from years ago, I think that, you know, his chin holds up for a while. He may have some stamina issues, but I think he's gonna he's he's you know for all of the the criticisms of David Lemieux I think he's too big and too aggressive and 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 will beat B J Saunders. Now it's interesting because if Saunders wins, you add an interesting B side player to this crowded division on HBO. Whereas like you know Gennady's been trying to get the fourth belt forever, and a Gennady Saunders program would be fun, right? Because Saunders talks trash. He's 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 a gypsy. He's you know he's not afraid to entertain and be crazy. I think if he holds on to the belt, it's fun because he's got that belt. He's going to make it difficult for guys to get a fight with him. He's going to make himself get a big payday to get there. He's got that shifty hold-the-ball style if he wants to. That makes it interesting. But if Lemieux wins the belt, Rafe, is this Oscar's secret plan all along, Rafe? Is we Are we, if Lemieux wins the belt, are we going to see Canelo Lemieux in May and Oscar saying, hey, Triple G, we still want that rematch, bro. We just want it when you're a little closer to 37 late this fall. Is that is this like a, a reality? Are we already predicting something because we know it's going to happen? I, I think it's definitely fair to to raise that possibility for sure, Brian. Because look, how come the the rematch of Triple G Canelo hasn't been made? They you know they, they've been talking for a while. If they were if they need to, if they wanted that fight to happen in May. You know, they, they haven't been working too hard on it. None of the early reports out of that, you hear the, whatever Tom Loeffler is saying, yeah, they say it's basically, we're just sitting there looking across the table at each other. So for some reason, that fight is on hold. Now it's a big fight and, and, and all that stuff that takes time. But yeah, this, and, and Golden Boy, you know, Lemieux is a Golden Boy fighter. Uh, I would, I would expect that, uh, for that, that, Golden Boy probably has an option on 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 uh, on Saunders next fight if he wins. Uh, in which case, you, we could see the winner regardless of who it is facing Canelo next because that is just a that's a title fight. They can sort of it's a it's something you can sell while yeah keeping Triple G on the on the back burner for another six months or in, until I hope late in 2018 but man i don't trust you know look we we just had a great year i'm already bracing for a terrible 2018 and we can get into this uh whenever we do like a year-end show but i wouldn't be surprised if that if that rematch that triple g canelo rematch ends up getting pushed back even another year i hate to say oh, it. come on you don't mean that but uh, i will say that we are set up However it ends up going down, we are pretty well set up middleweight-wise to have a fun spring because whether we get Triple G, Canelo 2 or not, if we get Danny Jacobs against the winner of this fight, that's heck yeah, right? Like that that's fun for the fourth belt. That's, that's fine, more than fine with me, Rafe. Jacobs, Andre, Charlo, start mixing all these guys up. All right, let's run down what else we have this week or weekend. Rafe, Wednesday morning, set your alarm, or Tuesday night, depending you on the way, on the West Coast. But for me, Wednesday morning, East Coast time, 6.30 a.m. on ESPN from Brisbane, Australia. Hashtag horned up. Jeff Horn will defend that WBO welterweight title against Gary Corcoran of Britain. You shouldn't really care about this fight except for the fact that Terrence Crawford will be there in Australia, and he is set up to be the mandatory to take Horn's soul, potentially. We don't know how that's going to play out. A, do you care? B, does Jeff Horn win? And C, do you give him any chance against Crawford? How's that for a triple threat question? Uh, absolutely not. I do not care. 
Uh, I don't know if he wins. I have, uh, you know, who the hell is Gary Corcoran? Is he, I mean, I assume he's pretty bad if they brought him in as an opponent. But is he bad enough to lose to Horn? I don't know. I, I could, you know, I could see a lot of guys beating Horn. You know, this is Joe Horn we're talking about. The you can't be going over to Australia and getting knocked down by Joe Horn. Um, but anyway, look, I wait, wait, what are serious. you? Wait, you, what are you? I'm, you're looking for the Stephen A. drop. I mean, I it, it'll it'll show up. Um, I don't know if I got it anymore. Yeah, keep going, keep going. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, you know, Crawford washes whoever is is the the, the winner of this fight. It's not even going to be close. Pacquiao, you do not need to be getting knocked out and put to sleep by Joe Horn. <laughs> there it is. Uh, yeah, not a lot of care. I just want to see if if they get if they wake up Teddy. If they're like, all right, you could be back on the team. Six thirty a.m., bro. Wednesday morning, you're there to call a uh, horn. Ship him out. That will be very interesting, Rafe. We also Friday from Russia. Alexander Povetkin will act like he hasn't been taking meldonium for four straight fights. He will face Christian Ham- Christian Hammer. The key here is that he becomes the mandatory for one of the belts. Like it's such, it's such crap. It's probably WBA. Like I don't even want to look it up, Rafe, because it's so boxing and it's such crap. And finally, we got an Al Heyman December poo poo card Friday FS1 PBC Lancaster, California. Let me run this down for you. In the main event, Jesse Vargas makes his PBC debut against Aaron Herrera. We got Diego Chavez against Jamal James. John Molina Jr. against Ivan Redcock. And uh, Wally Omatoso against former uh, Berto knockout foe Freddy Hernandez. Holy crap. That's Lucky a lot of washed. Omatoso. That's a lot of washed welters there, Rafe. You, 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 you care about this, this movie at all? I, I just because I, on a comedy level, sure. I mean, I'm looking forward like a lot of a lot of sort of bad matchups and washed welters. I, I and I live close enough. I'm highly considering driving up there to to check out this to check out this night of interesting. Uh, jam them in. We owe you a date. End of the year specialty PBC Heyman fights. Um, you know, especially uh, you know, I, I got to support my guy Diego Chavez anytime he's fighting here in the United States. I don't know if the legendary Argentine finger bang fan who uh, so oh, famously yeah. in gifts disapproved of uh, the, the the disqualification of Chavez in that Brandon Rios fight. Um, I will be there to uh, to hold anyone accountable with finger bang gestures on Friday for sure. <laughs> Uh, it just does remind us of our favorite card we were ever at together, Rafe, of course, Temecula, December 2014, the Night of Champions. I still have that credential somewhere in my Meet office. Meet me in Temecula. That's what I'm talking about, where we found uh, Pliny the Elder Beer with the great beard himself, Patrick Connor, and we uh, watched every fighter on the PBC have a fight against a nobody, one after another. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. highlight for me always, well, it's so many actually, is, is where we saw Ahmed Alviali walking around in the hotel robe. Uh, it's where we saw Sergio Mora struggle, almost get almost get knocked down by some like you know 16 and nine cab driver from Long Beach. Yeah, Dashaun uh, Johnson, special. right? I don't remember, man. It was that MMA fighter, Deshaun Johnson, an untelevised fight. There's no video of it anywhere, of course, Rafe. But that was uh, that was really something. Uh, yeah, we saw also Antonio Tarver and Jonathan Banks to hell in that fight. Oh my God, that was rough. Oof. Was that really bad Tyson Cave decision? Yeah, there was some things that that. Oh, that 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 spurred a classic a classic Teddy rant too when uh, when Tyson Cave got jobbed against Oscar Escondón. It was like, oh God, oh, God, hell no. Oh. All right, Rafe, that'll wrap up another week of Boxeo. Follow us on the old Twitter at BCampbellCBS at RafeBugs. Purchase the book just in time for the holiday season. They call it Two and Two. McSorley's My Dad and Me, Rafe. That's a, a nice little little Kriegel-inspired tale of fathers, sons, 
McSorley's bar in New York City. A lot, a lot of great stuff coming on in there. I mean, it all, it all boils down to those, those elements, those, those base elements. Father and son, you know, my dad, like an Anatoly Lomachenko, making me do cognitive exercises so I would be better at serving ales behind the bar of McSorley's old ale house. We have that kind of connection. That father, I actually have tattoos of my father serving ales on my torso. Uh, I'm not in good enough shape to ever reveal my torso, wow. but they're there. I mean, it's, it's, and if anyone ever wants to profile me, about that, <clears throat> Mark, uh, you know, come through. I got you. Are we going to get an audio book of this at all? I, I'd hear the comedic style. It's already there, man. It's out there. You had, there's an audio book of you reading yeah, it? I read it, baby. I, I'm doing Irish accents. It's terrible. Oh, this is fantastic. I could lay awake just to... I can lay awake just to see I don't know how that connects. I just want to hit that button. But I'm down for that audio. I'm down for the eventually, eventually when we get the uh, TV sitcom slash, uh, well, not sitcom, but slash, uh, you know, made for TV movie on, on Lifetime, you know, with Life, uh, I don't know if we have enough juice for Lifetime. I mean, you know, I'm like, I don't know. We, we might need some more felonies in my family, but we'll see. Yeah. All right, all right. All right. That'll do it for another week. That was in the sport. Rafe, I want you to give people two words to take with them for another week. We out.